Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTV buddies, it's me, Scott. I have been telling you that I am searching out the new, cool, independent podcasts, and I have found a great independent podcast in What to Watch Live with Mark Dreskin. And instead of just telling you about it, I went ahead and called Mark, and I'm talking to him right now. How you doing, Mark? Oh, I'm great. Scott, thanks for reaching out. The uh, podcast has been a lot of fun. We've been at it for a couple of months. Yeah, I I think you started pretty close to when I started mine. I, I started mine at the end of last year, and it looks like you started at the beginning of this year, right? Oh, definitely. And with the home confinement, you know, it just all <laughs> takes off. So, but, you know, around that time, I guess, there was just uh, uh, the podcasts were getting a lot more uh, varied, and, and I said, shoot, I, I got to try this too. And it was a lot easier to break into than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's very easy to do, and... Where yours stands out, I mean, there's a lot of movie, TV-type review talk shows, but I like how you take it and actually go to, like, a genre, and you talk about the TV shows and the movies on each side, and you actually do kind of like a, a family tree of, like, like your first episode was Lawyers, and your your last episode was, like, uh, End of the World films and, and TV shows right. and stuff like that. Right. And I like how you take right. it and you just bring it out and talk about everything. Yeah, and uh, it's almost to the point of, needing to uh, storyboard the thing out because <laughs> you can really go down so many rabbit holes. And, and that's actually what I tend to do with a couple of the films where I go over to Wikipedia and find the historical reference that they made. And, and really, you can make a show out of uh, one or two interesting things that uh, you viewed. But uh, no, and, and the other thing I find is that there are certain works in a, a director or an actor's whole catalog that that just stand out. I mean, they were just so brilliant on a couple of these uh, works that all came in a row. And I even like to see outside of that what they were doing in their lives during those times. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when I listen to the other recap-type shows, you know, I, I enjoy a lot of them. They have some great back and forth with the host or a guest or something like that. But I never find them go down the radicals I want to. So <laughs> I, uh, I went again and started to publish this thing. Yeah, I like how you you don't just stick with uh, current stuff. You you go to back catalogs and and take the actors all the way back and the genres all the way back. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and and I you know the same thing. If you're catching something and it's modern day, it, it brings you back to the older stuff, and uh, especially with the Parasite director with some of his earlier stuff in the horror genre. But that would have gone on. on discovered but boy those, those are some things that like road to the sun that as great as parasite was these were a, amazing works too I, and i don't know if you caught snowpiercer but there's just so much digging you can do and so much you can find 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Snowpiercer because I did see that and I thought that was a great movie and I'm looking forward to watching the series. Oh yeah, yeah. The the film, yeah, it was it really just floored me. But it 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 just it really was not your typical apocalyptic film with perhaps some social structure elements. I mean, it's just completely gutted the idea of society and hierarchy and I took me a few days to get over uh, having seen that one. Yeah. Uh, Parasite was devastating. I'm still not over it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, and Snowpiercer is on uh, Hulu at a at a certain point. Jennifer Connelly is going to be in it, actually. Oh, cool! It's yeah. funny what, that episode. I I don't know if you intended or not, but you made me laugh because you you were talking about Snowpiercer, and then you talked about the movie. And then the series, and you said, well, I'm pretty right. sure in the series they'll probably be trying to get from the back of the train to the front of the train. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a pretty simple premise, but it, it, it was a good movie. So I, I just laughed. That was an LOL moment for me. I know, and I can sympathize. They want to make their pitch to the executives as simple as possible. If the train, uh, if you're poor, if you're in the back, you work your way to the front, and the Harris is there. It's really a movie I'm so glad I discovered. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and the stuff that's coming out is all streaming, you know, because the theaters, at least by us, are completely closed. Yeah. I, I think there's going to be a lot of chances to see some, some good stuff coming up. And I've been bringing on a, uh, a couple of co-hosts who, who are just completely bored. And so, <laughs> yeah, we, we've been able to riff on a lot of the newer stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like how you do it like a live show and uh, use the sound effects and stuff, too. I think that's cool. Oh, yeah, thank you, yeah. There's times when you want to have something either pre-recorded or out on the street or something like that, but if you can actually get somebody talking and really going on the air like that, it seems ridiculous to cut them off, you know? So yeah. so we, we just like to turn on the mic and go. I really enjoy the podcast. I've listened to probably half the episodes by now, and it's just, it, it's it, it goes down so many cool rabbit holes, and I'm a film buff, and I like old TV and new TV, some of it. So it's, it's, really, it's really good for me because I write down different shows that I haven't watched because I've missed quite a few too, but it's just a fantastic podcast. You're doing a great job with it, Mark. Oh, great. Thanks so much. So where can uh, the, our listeners find your podcast if they're looking for it? Well, I'm on the major platform, Spotify, Stitcher. Best is to look under my name, Mark Dreskin, in the search. But the title is What, and then the number two, and then Watch, and then Live. So you bring it in the search, and it always brings up Watch What Happens First, Andy Cohen. Uh, <laughs> so if you put in my name, you'll get it. Or if you put in What to Watch with the number two, you'll get it. Okay, great. I understand how uh, difficult it is to do a podcast, and I appreciate what you're putting into it. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. Take care. I'm here with John Poromo, and I tell you what, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I, I, I watched Duppet, but I also watched some of your sets. The the DC improv set, it's about it's about an eleven minute set. I watched that and Probably. I I feel like I've watched it I think three times and I feel like it's like a as far as structure and comedy goes, it's like a one oh one. And I the content's the big thing, but the way you did it is like everybody teaches. 
So you come on with a good one to begin with, and it's you mm-hmm. talk about yourself. So you talk about being from Jersey, and then you do some rapid fire, and then you you've got the crowd then, and then you can do a little bit longer setups for the punch, and then you get a little bit more personal as it goes on, and it just really it's really a one on one type set uh, right there on YouTube. So I mm-hmm. and and when I say one on one, some comics say you know they. They don't like that, but you know, I just, I just thought it was kind of a revelation that like er, what everybody teaches is right there, and you did it. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, that that's I, I thank you. I'm just gonna take the. I'm not gonna take compliments, but uh, yeah, it's that's that's just how I I learned. You know, I learned to build a set over time and just watching other comics do that kind of stuff. And it is, it, you're right though. It is kind of like about getting the audience on your side right away before you get into anything too heavy. I think like the, for now, like sometimes the fun of it is um, like, I knew I was taping that set and I wanted it, you know, I think I was showing it to something at the time or, or whatever it was. So I wanted it to kind of build that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes the fun of it is actually going up with the heaviest thing you want to talk about first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just going like, eh, you know, let's see what happens. But yeah, I think that's, thank you. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was very well put together. And then I went back and watched an earlier set. I, I think it was uploaded in 2013. I don't know what year you recorded it. And I was able to take the two and I'm like, yep, he's better. He, <laughs> he, he was, he was good. Yeah. He was good in that one, but you can tell he's grown as a comedian. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I, I honestly, I always talk about, you know, like the progression of it or whatever. And I think if I, ha- if you're, if, if you're just not growing or if you haven't gotten better, like if you, if you watch your sets back in the day and there's no real change, then mm-hmm. I'd say just pack it in after a certain time. But it is cool to see that. I, I, it's funny that you say that too, because I, my YouTube page is almost like a fucking ghost town. Like I just <laughs> didn't, like I never kept up with it really. And I feel like, um, like it's, it's, it was to me, it was just there not to gain followers or anything like that in particular, but it was just if I needed a set online yeah. or I needed something taped, you know, that's where I threw it up. Yeah. So it is kind of funny that there's a bunch of old shit on there. I think for the longest time, too, I had uh, my first set ever mm-hmm. that was just kind of public, like yeah. still hanging on there because I think it was from when I started in like 2005 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, I should probably mute that. <laughs> just in case anybody's and th- i mean now i don't really give a shit because it's i'm you know i'm already in where i want to be in and stuff like that but i think in the like midway point i was like why is that fucking still on there like, right right and some comics don't even want stuff from a couple years ago up there because they they don't want to be compared to that right. stuff and i i'm the same way with youtube i use mine as more of a repository than something that that i wanted people to see and now i'm trying to get it to where people see it and that's tough. It's, it's tough to build an audience in YouTube. I found out Instagram and Facebook and Twitter are a lot mm-hmm. easier. <laughs> yeah. I like Instagram a lot more than I like anything. I, I mean, Facebook and stuff is, is cool. I've got like a fan page and a, and a regular page or whatever. The page is also sometimes more of a ghost town, but I rarely ever use those. Like I'll promote my stuff on there once in a while, but I kind of just throw out, you know, whatever political shit I, I feel like throwing out there mm-hmm. and talking about and kind of use it almost as like a writing exercise too, and going back and forth with people or whatever is fun. But the Instagram is where I really like to put up comedy stuff, yeah. you know, whatever I want to throw up there. And then I also realized too, at a certain point, like I'm not too much of a fan of giving away too much material either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, 
but <clears throat> because of the way I work when I'm on stage and stuff, and I like to be very playful with the audience and kind of off the cuff and do my crowd work intermittently in my sets and stuff like that. If I can mm-hmm. find a good chunk of that, I'll throw that up on Instagram or whatever, because people enjoy that just as much as anything else. Right. And that way I don't have to actually give away any material, you know, for free. So yeah. Yeah. It's, and- it's good. I like doing that way. Then I, I like doing it better than I like, you know, posting full sets. Right. Yeah. And I watch, I watch how people, especially my wife, how they use social media and people tend to spend a lot more time on Instagram than they do Facebook. It's like a quick scroll on Facebook and then Instagram because there's videos and stories and stuff Mm -hmm. real easy to get to. They tend to spend more time and she's always showing me stuff on Instagram and very rarely shows me anything on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I feel like Instagram is way less hateful than any of the other social media apps. You know right. what I mean? I, I get way less of a headache scrolling through people's, you know, pictures of food and stand up clips and, yeah. you know, vacations and shit than I do on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I actually follow the hashtag stand up and the hashtag comedian just so I can see stuff from people I don't know. So it, it really, it's really nice and it's easy to use rather mm-hmm. than scrolling through all the crap on Facebook. So let's talk about comedy right. for you. Let's let's take it back to the beginning. When you were a kid, did you want to be a comic? Oh, there's a weird... Uh, I can't hear you anymore. Is that, oh, is that me, me or is that you? It might be a little bit of the feed. Yeah, I can see your lips moving, but I cannot hear you. I don't know if you can hear me or not. Yeah, I can hear you. Just a sec. Um, is that any better? No. How about now? Oh, I can hear you now. Okay. I, I, I Sometimes StreamYard just fucks up, and I have to take myself out and put myself back in. Oh, it's fine. So yeah, the, the like, question, uh, back back to the question, when you were uh, a kid, did you want to be a comic? Yeah. I mean, not when I was, like, super young. I don't think I knew what stand-up was, but I always had an idea. Like, I always wanted to be, you know, I like being the funny kid. And I wasn't like class clown, like pull your pants down funny. Like there was one of those already. I was the, you know, kid in the back of the room kind of whispering at what a crock of shit this whole thing was. (laughs) You know, I'm like, oh my God, like fucking school is weird, right? What's this guy talking about? So I was like kind of quietly funny among friends. And then like it would kind of get around that I was funny from other people and Mm. stuff like that. I appreciated the guy who pulled his pants down. I was like, that is performance art and I get it. And yeah. it's a good distraction, <laughs> but I didn't really want to get thrown to the, uh, principal's office or anything like that either. So I was like, I was always just very like, this is a bunch of bullshit uh-huh. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, but I did love, I did love comedy and I loved comedians and my whole family kind of loved the comedy and, and movies and stuff like that too. And like my grandfather loved stand up and he loved Johnny Carson. So like I, he would show me tapes and stuff. So I always had like an interest. I think the first time too was like, I loved Robin Williams when I was a kid Mm. and I didn't know, like I wanted to know everything about him. And then I found out that he was a comedian and I was like, what the fuck's comedian? And then, you know, then I was kind of like a gateway drug after that. I was just like, Oh, everyone that I like Ellen is a comedian. And, uh, you know, cause she had that TV show for a while. Mm -hmm. Everybody that was hugely funny started out doing stand up. So I kind of got into it through that. Now, any particular ones that really got you and you said, I want to be like them? Rob, Robin Williams was yeah. was one of the ones that I, that's, I kind of think why I've 
why I like to mess with the audience and mm. stuff like that on stage, or I kind of think a little faster or whatever. And uh, yeah, Robin, Ellen, when I was a kid, sign obviously Seinfeld, because mm. everybody that had a TV show, I think back in the day, I thought was hugely funny. And Gary Shandling was, was amazing. Yeah. Like all those guys, when I was younger, I had all their books, you know, mm-hmm. loved Tim, I love home improvement, love Tim Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just, they were really, really funny to me. Right. And like a lot of like, even like Bill Maher, you know, I remember being in the specials that came out when I was in high school were like Ellen DeGeneres is the beginning, Bill Maher, be more cynical. And like Lewis Black, I, like all, like around those years, like when I was in high school mm. and they kind of really uh, made me feel less alone right. uh, for whatever, because <laughs> yeah. they, they were just, they were adults talking about, you know, shit that I was thinking as a kid and reaffirming because you weren't getting that in, you know, none of you, none of the adults that you knew in school were talking about anything like that. Right. And your parent, your parents don't say that kind of stuff either because they, they don't mm-hmm. want to traumatize their kid. <laughs> yeah. And not even that Ellen is, you know what, you know what I found? Like, I like the subver- subversiveness of all, all standups. I yeah. think I like, I like the underlying layer of, you know, life isn't meant to be taken that seriously. And a lot of kind of frivolity, like even Bill Mars, when he was doing be more cynical, whatever he was, he had a lot of very strong ideas about religion and law enforcement and stuff that you didn't hear from your fucking teachers at the time. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I feel I feel the same about those types of specials. Uh, you, it's the stuff that, like you said, the adults around you just don't. They're not going to give you that because it's it's a little bit too subversive and afraid. Mm-hmm. Fra- and it's gonna, nice. Yeah, and it's yeah. nice to hear about, and it's nice to see adults talking about failure. Like comics are able to talk about stuff. Obviously, they're wildly successful when they're doing it too. But you know, like it's it's nice to see just grown people talking about not doing well, failing at life, you know, failing mm-hmm. in school when they or whatever. And still I, it was, it was comedians and cartoonists. I always had an affinity for, I always wanted to be a cartoonist too. And I, mm-hmm. and I do draw cartoons and stuff like that. But I remember when I was in school, I used to write cause I, I, I thought cartooning for some reason was way more attainable than comedy. Mm-hmm. Like I was always a funny kid, but I could draw. So I was like, oh, I'll just do that. I'll just be funny and, and draw my dumb cartoons. Mm-hmm. And I remember writing certain, uh, this is what writing looks like, by the way. I don't know why I just yeah. did that, but I did email, uh, a bunch of cartoonists and stuff like that. And literally I was horrible at math when I was in school. Uh-huh. So I remember emailing them and I was like, Hey, uh, do you guys have to be good at math to be cartoonists? And they'd be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no, but it was kind of funny too. Cause some of them were very much either like, oh, dude, I fucking sucked when I was in school, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And like, I'm paraphrasing, but like, and other people would also be way more cautious because they, you know, you know how hard it is to do what they do. Yeah. So they would be like, no, but also stay in school. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. Like you can tell they were like, <laughs> they knew they were talking to a kid at the time. So they were like, let's just not, you know, just fucking learn your math and do your best. And, yeah. Yeah. But they would also be like, but also, no, I don't know a goddamn thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I've got two kids and one of them is a, math genius and the other one wouldn't do math to save her soul so it's mm. it's it's funny to have one one like that and he's actually a rocket scientist so you know that's that, oh. that's what they that's what he does and <laughs> but like that's the coolest shit to me though you know what i mean like that that is so unattainable to me because i don't you know basic math obviously but like all that other stuff like i have no once it started getting with letters and you yeah. know yeah. the what ifs and all that other shit i was like i'm tapping out i got yeah. nothing yeah uh 
but that stuff amazes me. Like my friend's a mathematician mm-hmm. and he's, and he's so fucking good with all the numbers and stuff. And I, I go to him a lot. If I ever yeah. actually question <laughs> about statistics and numbers and all that other shit. Yeah. What's the but, hypotenuse um, yeah. of this triangle? Help me out here. <laughs> oh, do, yeah. And that's another thing too, when you're in school, man, they never tell you that, you know, your are like you, th- when you're a kid, you think your parents know the shit that you're learning. Yeah. And then as you get older and you realize no one, like uh, my, my greatest joy was finding out my English teachers were also fucking retarded when it came to math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, you just assume, you know, you just assume everybody kind of gets it. But yeah. <laughs> I, I just remember them going like, Oh no, man, I don't know shit. I'm yeah. Like, you have to chat like, you know, <laughs> And so, the math teachers want to double down on how, because, you know, no one wants, they want to be taken seriously for what right. they do and stuff like that. So they really, you know, try to push it into your head that if you don't know this shit, you're going to be pumping gas. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So. so you talked about doing the, the visual arts, the cartooning. So that was mm-hmm. kind of, that was kind of your first spark into the art world. How, how did that work out for you prior to being, going into stand up? I gave it up. I stopped doing it pretty quickly. Like I drew, I never got anything really published, anything big. Like it would be like local, you know, paper or whatever. If I drew a cartoon or something like that, mm-hmm. I think I drew for the school paper for a little bit, but I kind of gave that up pretty quickly. And once I, once I realized I wanted to do stand up, mm-hmm. like after it was after high school and I would draw constantly. And I think <clears throat> I had like ideas for comic strips and I still have them all, like all drawn out, set up and stuff. But I, I really liked, I, I tried doing stand up and I really like being on stage and I kind of, I kind of stopped drawing for like a few years when mm. I was doing stand up. Like mm. I just, I mean, I would doodle, but as far as any of that cartoon stuff and then mm. somewhere like middle of my stand up career, I, I was like, I had, you know, ideas that I thought would be better as uh strips mm. or, or single panel cartoons or whatever that, that didn't necessarily work on stage. So I started to like, you know, pass the time in hotel rooms or whatever. I would draw my cartoons and post them online and it worked out, you know, worked out into a book. So that mm. was pretty cool. Yeah. And that's a book I want to check out. That is Drawings from a Nobody. And uh, yes. that, that 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 looks like uh, something I would like I would like to read and probably identify with. So yeah, I'm going to check that out. I'll send you a copy. Oh, oh great. Thank you. So thinking about your first time on stage what prompted you to get on stage to do the stand-up a few things i didn't want to be in co- i was in college for a year and i hated i hated it i didn't i, I didn't really want to go in the first place my one of my friends uh, who just passed away this year actually she was she could play like every instrument just immediately like amazing pianist singer all this other stuff and she immediately after high school knew she wanted to go out to LA and mm. she knew I wanted to do stand up, and, you know, we would kind of talk about that kind of stuff. And she had always kind of pushed me to do it. She wanted me to leave and she wanted me to go with her and all this other stuff. And I was terrified to, I, I give her full props for like knowing exactly what she, what she wanted, what she should do. But I was, you know, dating somebody at the time, all my friends were going off to college. It felt like the thing I had to do not to fuck up my own life. Mm. And, but the more I was in it, I was so fucking miserable, just unbelievably miserable. And at one point, you know, I, my, my, I think my mom and my stepdad were just like, Hey, why don't you try, you know, doing stand up? Like they actually found a, like they saw some kind of advertisement for a, a comedy school 
for a class or whatever. And they were mm. like, why don't you go do it? You know, it's six months or no, no, it wasn't six months. I can't remember. That's a long time. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what it was exactly. I was like six months, but it was amazing. For me, anyway, mm-hmm. because I mean, we was like there was like thirty people in there, and it's funny because I just went on a show, out in Chicago. My friend has a show. I think it's called Nightcap. I'm just gonna hear it. But she and I started in that class together, and she oh, and I okay. are the only two that are still doing it and pretty much thriving mm-hmm. as much as we can. As much as we can. I mean, you know what I mean. No one. I'm not a household name or anything, but like we're doing, we're still doing it mm-hmm. and making money doing it. Um, so yeah, we were the only ones that were that were in it or whatever. What's her name, like by the, the way? First. Her her name is uh, Erica Watson. Okay, I've heard that name. I'm yeah. close enough to Chicago. I I keep an eye oh, on okay. the Chicago scene. She's fantastic. You yeah. should have her on here if you if you get a chance. But yeah, she and I we we stayed close. We you know we'll, we talk when we were on the road and stuff. We were doing it. But yeah, that was it. I I was completely and totally miserable doing anything else. And then once I did stand up and did my first show, that was it. I never. I was like, I'm done doing anything else. Mm. Uh, I wanted to invest in myself in a way. I mean, people go to college to invest in themselves for the most part, I think, or to party or to have that experience or whatever. But I decided it would be the same if I invested, you know, 10 years into doing stand up. By the time I was 30, I'd be where I wanted to, you know, essentially where I wanted to be or as good as I was, you know, wanted to be mm-hmm. at it. And I wanted to do that as opposed to anything else. So you do the first set and you've taken some classes and stuff like that. What was your first mm-hmm. time on stage like? It was good. It was this. I, I, the, there is the clip. I think it's, yeah, it's still online, but it's, uh, it was good. I had a good set. I had a good time on stage. It was, I was nervous and I addressed it at the time. Like mm-hmm. you can, I think from that first set, you can kind of see where my, my ability to talk to the audience comes on stage. Cause when I am, you know, that way, it's kind of like, it kind of just came out. So mm-hmm. I like breezed through the first, the jokes that I had, they were supposed to last me five minutes, but I didn't pace myself at all. <laughs> and it was whatever, but you can like, the audience was with me. And even the woman who taught the class, there was one funny moment between us where I literally, like I took my notes out on stage because I was doing it with Adam, but I didn't, I didn't have anything left. Yeah. And I'm like, kind of like, you can see my hand <laughs> shaking and I address that I'm shaking and the audience laughs or whatever. And I just kind of put it on the stool and I was like, well, I don't, uh, I don't think I have anything else. I'm like, you know, I was like, I think her name was Linda Smith who ran the class. And I was like, Linda told me she'd uh, show me the red light if I went over time. And she just knew she could do this with me. She was like, you're not over. And I was like, thanks. And like, it just, (laughs) like just the spontaneity of the whole thing. So it was a really, it was a really fun thing to do. And I had a great set and it was the next set I bombed. (laughs) Like it was such a flu, like anything, I think any comic you talk to that tells you they had a good first set, they tell you how, like, I can't think of the word I'm think, trying to think of, but it sets you up in a way that's like, gives you a little too much confidence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, because like, I, I did five minutes or whatever and like breeze through the set. And then I got another gig after that and somebody got bumped or somebody didn't make it or whatever. And they were like, hey, can you do 10 minutes? And I was like, yeah, and 10 minutes is fine. <laughs> and I, and I could not. And yeah. I fucking ate it. I yeah. mean, and my friends were there for that one too, because at the time, bringer shows were like, you know, the scam. Right. I mean, it's still running, but it's a fucking scam or whatever. And, and I brought my friends, and we all went into New York, and we went out to eat, because they didn't go to the first show that I did. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we all, <laughs> yeah. this group was like, we like, and I was like, ah, let's go. And I fucking ate it. Yeah. And that was the beginning of essentially learning how to bomb too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so funny that when you do have that good first set, it just makes that, I mean, the next set 
almost always sucks. I mean, I, I, I haven't known anybody that has had a great second set. And when you're yeah. cocky from the first one, it makes it just tragic. I mean, you just yeah. you, you just want to you just want to go home, get under the covers, and never come out. And <laughs> yeah, because the high and the sense of relief of your first set going well is unimaginably like it's great. Mm -hmm. And I still and and the funny thing is is I don't like I've had really great sets and and fun times and open for you know uh, really big comics and all this stuff, but there's something about you know, the first set where you do, if you do really well or whatever, I, you cannot match that fucking, because there's naivety, mm. you know, there's, uh, you're young, so you have no, you think, hey, this is fucking great. And the room was packed too. So yeah. it wasn't like I, it was like 12, 15 people. It was all of, you know, it was, it was like a, it was, a, it was a packed room. It was Caroline's and every, and for whatever reason, like, you know, you never know if the rest of your peers are going to bring people out or whatever. But for the most part, I had one small table of people I knew mm. and the rest of the entire room was strangers. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you just can't beat that fucking high. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's still every time I used to think about that, I used to think like, wow, if I, I, you can't, you cannot fucking match that. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So most comics that I talk to say that, you know, the first year is kind of pivotal on how they, how their career goes. Can you tell mm -hmm. me just obviously don't go day by day, but what was your first year like after you did that? It was, it was hit and miss all the time. I mean, I don't remember it too well, but I used the tape that I did for my first set to get other work. Like I figured out, you know, what you needed to do. And I lived in New Jersey so I just, I, I just remember making phone calls and trying to get in everywhere I possibly could mm -hmm. and, and trying to keep the memory of, I can do this. I did do this. You know, I just need to, need to keep that, that shit going or whatever. And I think I like, I'd won a couple contests that help you keep going or whatever, mm -hmm. but like intermittently just, it was hit and miss. It was going on stage bombing, wondering if you could still do it. The only, the only difference is I think, and I tell you know, other comedians who were younger or whatever to do this kind of shit too. It's like, you know, I mean, if you bomb, just book more gigs, you know, don't, don't let it, don't bomb and then wait to heal. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, whatever I, cause I would, I would, I would just fucking eat a dick on stage and then, and then immediately like feel just fucking awful about the whole thing. And then for whatever reason, I would go home and I would call, five other clubs I had, no, I'd never been to before, mm -hmm. send them a tape out and then rebook myself over and over again. Yeah. And so that was, that was a lot of what that was. I was working at a bank full time, which was not fun. Yeah. <laughs> especially for a comedian or, or somebody who's trying to be a comedian. And the thing was too, is everybody, cause my space was big at the time too. And when you work somewhere, you know, you, you, front of your employees. So my, my, my space was not a personal one. You know what I mean? Cause when I graduated high school, we didn't, we didn't have Facebook or anything like that. Mm. And then uh, you couldn't get on Facebook unless you had a college thing or whatever. And obviously dropped out. So couldn't do that. And then uh, MySpace was around. So by MySpace was just comedy mm. and my comedy page. And they'd be like, Oh, you're so it was, it was very, you know, it was a little weird. Yeah. Now, did you start traveling in that first year? Did you get out of town? Mm -hmm. So what, what types of shows did you do? Were you doing the, the one nighters and stuff like that? Some of them, yeah. So I did my kind of like, it was weird. I never really had a home club. I started, there was one, I lived in Tom's River, New Jersey. So the closest club to me was this one in Point Pleasant. 
and we wound up having a huge, I left after, I think maybe two years or something like that because of, you know, guys, not a great guy, but it was a very bad situation at a certain point by the end of it. And I had a, had a piece out and you'll find that a lot. Like everybody knows a comedy club owner that's shitty yeah. or, you know, not good to their people or whatever. And it's kind of one of those things. Like if you, if I become aware of it, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And I, and I did work there for a little bit. I did the door there mm-hmm. and perform there, but it was very like an ownership thing. Like they, you thought they owned you or whatever. And I was interested in other clubs. I came there from working other clubs. Like one of the, one of the guys that was really nice to me and I'm still close with now, Jason Pollock, he booked rascals comedy club okay. when rat before rascals went under mm-hmm. in, I think Cherry Hill and then Ed Cavanaugh did Montclair. So I got in there and a buddy of mine, my writing partner now, Benino Diello, got me into those clubs and then Bananas Comedy Club. So it's weird because those two clubs were basically my home, like home clubs, but they were really far away from me. Mm. So I did have to travel to get to them. And then uh, Bananas was the first place I opened for a national that was like three or four years in. I opened for Jimmy Fallon and we did five shows together. Mm -hmm. And then Bananas would book me to open for like like bigger comics mm. after that so that was cool but i did i found I, I would go into new york and do broadway comedy club which was the improv back then the mm. improv, but friedman's wife still owned it and one of the comedians there james oaks who ran one of the shows liked me enough to take me out on the road so he and i would drive to gigs together and i so i got picked up pretty early by about a year in mm. and i didn't do bringer shows after that so I wasn't doing bringer shows for very long and I was on the road pretty early, which yeah. is invaluable because you know, how you know, the road teaches you basically everything. Right. Right. My first road gig was in an old ice rink. No, not an old, but it was in an ice rink like three hours away, yeah. you know, in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yeah. No, in not Poughkeepsie. In oh my God, I can't remember where the hell the place is. Plattsburgh. Okay. New York. Yeah. And it's like so close to fucking Canada, but yeah, it was one of my first gigs and I, it was in the, it was in an ice rink and you know, yeah. It's weird. It's funny. You talk about ice rinks and roller skating rinks. We've got a roller skating rink that's just about probably two or three miles away from us. And in the nineties they used to have bands come in. So thirty eight special played the Rainbow Roller Rink and um no Jeff Healy played the Rainbow Roller Rink and yeah, I got to see both of those, so it was pretty cool. But it was wow. it was it, it was kind of surreal that uh, they did bingo most of the time and then every once in a while they'd have a band. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean we I did a bunch of those gigs. Uh, like, you know, we did one one time I was super excited and he and I drove up to the Catskills. But in my head, I was thinking like Buddy Hackett, like Mortzall, yeah. like, you know, like I was like, oh, it's going to be in a thing and it's going to be a huge. And it was literally I didn't know how much the Catskills had changed, obviously, but it was literally like a fucking barn uh-huh. outside <laughs> and like like little picnic table bleachers inside this thing. And they were like roasting a pig. Oh, wow. <laughs> for everybody like that. And I was just like, I, I don't know, man. Like that, that also kind of colored my view of like, I would lower my expectations for every gig after that shit, mm-hmm. because every time they'd be like, Hey, we got a gig in a, you know, wherever I'd be like, Oh, it's going to be awesome. And in my head, I would just picture, always picture a nice venue. Mm-hmm. And then I would always be let down <laughs> no matter what, every time. Yeah. Like, so I'm on this bale of hay and half your audience is cattle. Yeah. Like, so many of them right. are just shitholes and that's, that, that, that's what you have to yeah. do. That's funny. It does. And it makes you appreciate the really good gigs 
like when you do get them or like an audience, it's like, you know, decent or anything like that. It just makes those moments, you know, it's weird. I don't remember them, but I remember the bad ones all the time. Yeah. Do you feel like in that first year you discovered what type of comic you wanted to be? In the first year? Well, I think, I don't know about other comedians or whatever, but I think you always, I think you always kind of know what kind of comic you want to be. And I think that's what you're chasing throughout your career. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if anybody ever meets that their expectation because you all have your idols you know, mm. and, and you want to live up to that, that particular standard or whatever. So you just keep striving for it. I think that those are the people that stay in the longest mm. is the ones who go. Yeah. I think the minute somebody goes, I'm a, I'm the new Bill Burr. Yeah. Then they're like, <laughs> you're like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're done. Like, I think you just keep working towards whatever, but I did know, like I knew what I could be. And what I kind of where I was where I was aimed what I what I wanted to be and I and I knew when I fell short of it which was all the time at the beginning mm. and but the thing that kept me going though too is like during those sets there were moments of who I knew or, or what kind of a comic I knew I could be mm-hmm. within those sets and the thing was is trying to ignite that flame or that spark when I was on stage again you know what I mean and that was the that was the chase it was mm-hmm. like oh my god there it is or like especially like after you go back home and you watch your set you know you're you're looking at it and you're like holy shit there it is right there that's what i need and that's what i need to get get a control of mm-hmm. so. putting 10 years giving yourself the the goal to put 10 years into this do you feel like mm-hmm. um as far as the nuts and bolts of writing are concerned are you a uh, disciplined writer are you somebody who will just wake up at two in the morning and start writing shit down or how does it work mm-hmm. for you I think, uh, no, I'm not a discipline writer at all. I try, I've, I've tried to sit down and write. And I thought that was the way to do it in the beginning was to open up your laptop and just start writing and see whatever, whatever comes to you. And I always found that to be insanely disappointing and, and not, I can't, I don't have the attention span for it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things like a mentor in a comic told me is basically that that's, you know, you have to go with, with the way your brain works and, I'm kind of like a meat and potatoes kind of person where I'll think of a joke or a punchline or whatever the the topic is. And I'll write it down in my phone and my notes Mm -hmm. and I'll just scroll through. Like, I don't think this is dead yet, but I was going to show like, I just, I just write down whatever it is. And then I'm able to take that either on stage or like when I go to sit, if I actually ever go to sit down and write, I usually wind up going, okay, I've written down just a myriad of shit in my notes and I'm going to try to organize them and see what's actually there. Right. And the same thing with like Twitter and Facebook too. Like that's why I like having those conversations or whatever on there is because, you know, sometimes something comes off the top of my head or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? That's a good line. And that can be used to whatever. And I try to read everything and, you know, so my brain just keeps going or whatever, but I cannot, not a discipline writer at all. Yeah. Have you found that during this, pandemic that it's really hard to write no i've actually been doing okay really during the pandemic i mean good for you then yeah it's i I know i talked to a couple other friends who were like i just don't feel funny it feels like it's you know something is whatever which i get there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of abnormal shit going on but i actually kind of found like because you don't have to worry about booking yourself or road gigs or getting out there or doing whatever i could i could lean on other strengths and kind of build you know, 
that kind of stuff up. Mm-hmm. You know, there are pilots and stuff my friends, my friend and I are working on and other projects or whatever. So you, you get to lean into that a little bit more. Right. And you've done some outsourced writing anyway. You've written for shows yeah. and, and, and things like that. So I imagine that is a different take on writing because you're either writing for someone or writing on a particular subject. So that makes it a little bit easier, I bet. It does. I did it for about, I think, I think, I think I did it more than I did stand up at the time for about three years because it was just so, there was so much writing to do, you know, and that's how I was making money at that time. So I got to write for a bunch of different stuff. One of the weirdest things was writing sports jokes or mm-hmm. sports stuff for, for comedians or whatever, because I'm not a sports guy. <laughs> yeah, and it same. Was, and, yeah. It, and it, the odd thing was, is the, some of the comics that I was writing for at the time, one of them in particular was like, he would call me up on the phone and he would start talking to me about stats or whatever was going on or whatever, kind of whatever. And he was like, he'd be like, you know what I'm talking about? You're a sports guy. And I was like, no, I am not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, what? And I'm like, I don't watch any of this shit. And I've been already been writing for him for a while about it. And he was like, I had no idea. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is why it's like, it's weird. Uh, it was a challenge because it's, it's still jokes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're still writing jokes regardless. But mine always came kind of off to the side and never really. I, I, I had a guy who was a friend who was a sports writer at the time. So if it ever got too heavy or too involved with it, I would call him and be like, hey, why do they hate this guy? And what's the <laughs> what is it called when, you know, when, you know, when they do like a thing and he'd yeah. be like, Jesus <laughs> like you know because i'm just not that type of guy I, yeah. I don't i like playing stuff like i like you know i i used to play sports outside or whatever yeah and, you know maybe tennis and some shit but fuck man i don't right. know anything about I, it. i'm exactly I'm the games. same yeah i enjoy being outdoors and eating ice cream out of a hat yep yeah, I, I will never be a sports guy or pick a team or anything like that. It's it, it, I'll watch a Super Bowl just for the commercials, but you know, it's not it's not uh I'll it, watch a Super Bowl because I like parties and food. Yeah, yeah, no be, doubt. You know, like that's that was the fun part is uh, talking to people or whatever and screaming on a TV. My sports are election season and anything <laughs> to do with superheroes yeah. or I get it. Like I totally get the the and I know that like most sports people don't see it the other way because it's you know, it's man shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, that's what they get off on, but it's the same shit. I've got yeah. my team, except my team is, you know, the fucking Hulk and, <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, I watch all 22 Marvel movies. I can quote that shit. I love Jurassic Park. Like uh-huh. I get the fantasy element of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I get, I get fifth man shit. I yeah. wanted to come out of one of those per- portals during, uh, the fight with Thanos. Uh huh. So you're, you're talking, you're talking Marvel, but you're wearing a Wonder Woman t-shirt. Are you, do you lean more towards DC or Marvel? No, I lean more towards Marvel. Yeah. I just, it has my, it's the, it's the new, I, I love Wonder Woman. Wonder uh-huh. Woman's awesome. And it's an, it's a shirt that I got in the mail and I subscribed to this thing or whatever, but it's the year I was born too, 1984. So that's a new movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman's the only decent DC movie. I love the movies. Like I'll go to see any superhero movie. I'm not like a dick about it. Mm-hmm. I think the Marvel movies are better, but. A Wonder Woman was phenomenal, and the new one looks fucking awesome. It's got Kristen Wiig in it, mm-hmm. and somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. That's what I was thinking. I was like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" Yeah. Have you ever had the opportunity to do any um, work for Marvel? There was a there was a snippet I saw, and they mentioned Marvel, but you you were working for a, a smaller a smaller outfit at the time. Yeah, I would love. That would be. Amazing. Yeah. I would do whatever they fucking wanted me to do. Yeah. I would die in a scene. I would be a toe tag in a scene. I would do whatever 
that you needed me to do uh, uh, who gets crushed by a building uh whatever but no i've never gotten to do any work for them and i don't think i'm at the level art wise of well, my, my stuff's more cartoony so i don't know no. what they would ever use me for mm. for that kind of thing like once in a while i can pop out a a good drawing of a hulk or something like that if one of my nephews or something like that needs something but yeah uh the artwork is beyond me and that kind of shit. Yeah. I think, I think what you're talking about, I was on the Dork Forest podcast and we were talking about Marvel stuff. That yeah. Exciting. Yeah. It, it, it got me in a direction where I thought maybe you had done something for him. No, I wish, man. I, Have you ever done talked, any? I think, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think on that podcast, there's a good 30 minutes where I just talk about Nightcrawler. For yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's no. Yeah. That one. That, that that's actually a pretty good episode. I like that. Have Thanks. you ever been on TV? Have you ever done any acting type stuff? No, I've never done any acting on TV. We I did just do a uh, short film that's on Amazon Prime right now called Dup It, but I wrote it and starred in it, so mm. that's convenient. Well, uh, let's let. <laughs> yeah, I didn't let, want to star in it though either. I'm not. I don't. I've taken acting classes. I've done that kind of stuff. Mm. But I, I like the stand up more. Let's talk about that while while we're on it because that was the first thing that I looked at by you and Ooh. I I really really enjoyed it. So I've Thank you. I've watched that more than I watched your DC improv set and and then I've actually listened to it instead of watching just to to get different feels of it. So how wow. did how, first of all how did that come about? That that came about from so i mean i've kind of dealt with depression most of my life you know in in different stages various forms and you know kind of like to go to high school or whatever and i have a close-knit group of friends and we, we've talked about it together you know what i mean like it's not like you can probably just tell from talking to me now like you wouldn't i don't think you would know mm -hmm. that i would that i would ever be or whatever that's fine <clears throat> that's kind of the way i like it but you know one of the my really close friends who i lived with him for a long time too is one of my best friends we would joke around about that kind of stuff all the time. And we were like just dealing with a bout of it at one point and just trying to describe our experiences. And I was just kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's basically like waking up with a, like of a dude just sitting on your fucking chest yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, just slaps you awake in the morning and, and, you know, or like punches you in the gut and like that kind of stuff. And then we were kind of joking around and we were like, It'd be really funny if that was like the roommate, like your depression is your shitty fucking roommate. Mm. And he's just constantly just there and telling you horrible shit. He's never around when your friends are around. And so we kind of got around to playing with that. And then it, and then I started to write it and then other stuff kind of came up and whatever. And then I was out in LA for a bit. I was living out there and that would like, that was like peak when my depression like kicked in to an, a very, very extreme point. I, you know, bad thoughts, like, so, you know, like really, really, it was, I was, I was super alone when I was out there. I didn't want to admit that I was, you know, having problems either at the time, mm -hmm. but like everything had kind of hit at that point. And I like before that, like my parents lost their house in Sandy. Mm -hmm. And around that same time I was dating somebody for a while that I thought was going to be it. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that was the, that was, we had a, we had a great run and we really loved each other and also the crap. And then, that kind of fell apart. There was some cheating. She cheated. You know, there, there was a lot of stuff that I had to deal with that in that respect. It, it was long distance. So the strain was emotionally unbearable. Mm -hmm. Sandy happened. My parents were, my mom and stepdad at the time, the strain of that kind of forced them to separate. Literally had to move them both in the different locations after 
they lost their house and I moved them somewhere else. Wow. There was just a bunch of stuff I wasn't dealing with at the time. And somebody who's, I think, prone to be, you know, depressed or whatever, I was just compartmentalizing stuff after stuff after stuff. Mm-hmm. And then never really dealing with it at the time because there was no time to. You know what I mean? Right. We, I, my roommate and I were, you know, we didn't have, we didn't, we didn't lose anything because we were at an apartment that was on the second floor. We almost lost our cars, but you know, we, we just, I lost my job, the part-time job that I still had. And my career was not really going anywhere in particular at the time either. Mm. So it looked, it felt like I was just losing everything that I had, but still never acknowledging it. All right. And then tried to move past that. And then that kind of triggered some like really bad. It, I mean, it was the weirdest thing. I know this is going on like forever, but like, it was this weird chain of events that happened where it triggered some kind of stomach stuff that I guess I'd always had. I had exacerbated it to the point. So all this crap was happening at the same time. I tried to get over it a little bit, had a couple other relate, you know, trying to build other relationships after that did not work out. And then I felt like stuff was kind of moving away. So I decided to make a giant move, which is always somewhat of a mistake. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was good that I did it, but also, probably not the best idea to do it in the mental state I was in, mm-hmm. but I did. I, I, I got to a point where I was strong enough to like decide this is my last summer here at the end of August, I'm moving out to LA and I did. Mm-hmm. And my manager had set up some stuff. And in the very beginning, it was constantly moving because I had written a bunch of, uh, pilots and stuff that I had to pitch. I had meetings with every major network when I was out there, I was doing some stand up. I got passed in the clubs, the ice house and comedy stores, like places I wanted to be in. And then, of course, you know, that kind of stuff died down. Mm. And then it was just me by myself. And then then everything that I was not dealing with, when you're just living in a, you know, renting a room with no air conditioning and the fucking, Mm. (laughs) it it just (laughs) just comes out. And also health-wise, like before that, I'd always been, you know, either skinny or cut or in really good shape. But like the stomach stuff that was going on that I didn't know what was happening because when I would go to the doctor, because I didn't know they misdiagnosed. So I was on different medication for way too long. That mm-hmm. wasn't dealing with what the actual issue was. So literally I just, I, I, I was like, the depression was crippling because the anxiety was so bad. I actually did have something going on physically with stomach stuff. All the crap that I'd never dealt with before came rushing to the forefront And it started to affect the only thing that made me happy, which was performing Mm -hmm. because of the anxiety and shit. I would actually lose my voice when I was talking. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, so you're waking up in pain and headaches every day. Your stomach is completely fucking wrecked. Uh, You're alone. You've got no money. You're spending money on credit. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to survive out here. Mm -hmm. Nothing seems to be clicking yet. And, and I was also forgetting material when I was on stage because I, was just it was just part of the anxiety yeah so i was like and the one thing that you have that you enjoy doing that was kind of an escape you can no longer do so in my head i was like it's time to call it quits yeah i would struggle with that the entire time and i think for the most part one of the things that kept me going i had a couple friends that i had met out there so it was kind of weird because they'd call and they'd be like, hey, on Thursday night, do you want to go get dinner? And it'd be like Monday. And I would not have gotten out of bed mm-hmm. or moved. And I would have been like, yeah. 
I think I can get myself together by Thursday. <laughs> you know, like, where I would like, because I, I, I also have a thing, like I don't, I love my friend. I don't want to disappoint anybody. So there's that in the back of my mind. And I never told my manager what was going on. So like he would call and be excited because he'd be like, hey, we got this meeting with Fox, you know, animate, or I met with Disney animation and stuff too. And I had this animated pilot that my friends and I, so like there was stuff going on. So I would pick my, I would go, okay, I'm going to do this and 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 just do that today i'm gonna mm-hmm. be this guy today and then i'm gonna go right back to bed yeah uh, so it was, it was truly brutal and there was some other there was some other stuff going on yeah it was it was not good times yeah. so then then when i came after two years when i came back from la i told my writing partner Vinny nardiello i mentioned earlier whatever a really close comedian friend of mine who's a great writer about the depression so, so yeah, so I told him about it and I was like, yeah, and I'd started writing it already. And then I was like, would you want to come in on this? And then as we were writing it, we, I'm a huge fan of the Muppets, love the mm. Muppets. He loves the Muppets. We'd always reference them, talk about them and stuff. And as we were kind of writing it, we realized it would kind of be difficult to find somebody to do, it would be kind of difficult to get another guy to do it, play the invisible roommate type of thing or like the imaginary thing. So we went in a completely opposite opposite direction. We were like, and I was like, I have this puppet that my friend got me. And I was like, what if we were like, what if it was a, a Muppet? What if it was like a puppet? And then we decided to call it Duppet. Mm-hmm. because it's a depression puppet yeah and so we designed it to look exactly like me. Uh, one of my one of my friends who's an amazing puppeteer and has experience with that i handed it to him and uh, and he uh, we kind of had some ideas of the hair we wanted it to look like we found uh i mean i, I just got i worked out before this so i have a hat on yeah. my hair is way too long <laughs> i haven't gotten a cut but you know for my pictures or whatever i have a lot of hair so we found an elvis wig a child's elvis wig mm-hmm. he found online on amazon and bought it and showed it to me. And I was like, Oh, that's fucking good. And I had wanted, I'd wanted the guy, you know, the puppet to kind of be a slovenly version of, you know, like it's reflecting who you feel, what you feel like inside. So yeah. DT on, you know, all that stuff. So we designed it and he restuffed it. He, it's amazing. It looked, obviously you've seen it. It looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It looks really good. And yeah. So Vinny and I wrote it together, you know, and then at the time, a friend of mine was uh, doing some kind of short film project thing and invited me on board to do it. And we were looking for the first project. And I was like, I already have something done and written mm-hmm. if we want to work, if we want to do that. And they shot it beautifully. And uh, they're, they're amazing cinematographers and stuff. So they shot it and we, we all helped out. And did it. it was the hardest thing I think they've done to this day. And we certainly I've ever done or we've ever done because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I had like nine locations. I was, I, we were like ambitious about yeah. I had like nine different locations yeah. <laughs> we wanted to shoot. And I, and there was some stuff we actually had to wind up cutting out of the original one because, you know, it just couldn't be done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, no, like it's pans in and they're like pans in. But it was, but the stuff that we did, like the running with him, we had to put my buddy in a cart. I think there's some pictures of that online somewhere. We had a, like a little red wagon that my it was my friend's kids red wagon or whatever we had to pull him along with the while he was doing the public uh-huh. stuff and while i was running <laughs> so it was it was it was hard but it was good and we we're all really proud of it yeah you know what but so, that's where all that kind of comes from so before getting into some of the stuff that that i liked about that do you feel like that when you put this into an art form when you when you made something about it were you able to look at your depression in a different way and make yourself better 
I don't think you ever get, yeah, well, I don't want to say you never get better, better, but like, I, uh, so I think at the time when it finally wound up coming out, I was a little bit better than I had been. It mm. took a long, it was, it was four, almost four years in that state and only getting like with little dips in between of like stabilization mm. and, and whatever it was, but, but coming out of it, I always try to think about how I wound up doing it. And I think it was just being persistent about trying to work it out in, in my head at the same time and moving forward and leaning on, you know, friends and stuff when mm-hmm. I can, even without telling them what was going on, it's still, when somebody picks up the phone, that's the, sometimes the best thing, even if you're not addressing what's bothering you, it's just nice to have, right. you know, somebody there to talk about anything else to mm-hmm. and what's going on in your head. Yeah. So, but I think when, when I was kind of working on it, it crystallized it a little bit more too. And, you know, helped with the putting in some jokes and some humor to it and stuff like that. Because for I know for a lot of people, but a lot of people are overly sensitive about certain topics and I totally respect it and I get it or whatever. But I think for a lot of people too, once you can make a joke about something, it just breaks whatever it is, no matter what it is down to make it not as serious mm-hmm. as it as it is in your head. Um, based on what so that kind of helps based on what you've told me. And after watching your act, you have, you, you've addressed a lot of it in your act. So I, I, I can definitely make that connection. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is, it's very, very cathartic to do that kind of stuff. And, and it helped me when I was younger, it helped me with awkward situations with school, even when I wasn't doing stand up. like actually being able to think about something in a way that, he's like breaks away the fear and strips everything down. I think, think I honestly, I honestly, it's a weird thing. I think thinking very comedically about any particular topic that has you fucked up or worried or whatever it is in some form does help alleviate it because all the comics that I ever admired always took, you know, really serious topics or, or even stuff that like, that isn't really that serious, but, but society kind of deems, you know, detrimental to existence mm-hmm. once they get a hold of it and they make it whatever you kind of feel a little better about it I, mean, yeah. I, had, I used to be afraid of flying when i was a kid and I fl- i've flown since i was like six months old we would had family in different parts of the country so we'd fly all the time or whatever and then i remember being younger and getting i would fly by myself by the time i was like 12 13 to go visit my family in arizona so from you know jersey to arizona or whatever and i remember getting a Sein- seinfeld album i'm telling you for the last time when it came out Okay. And I had my first two comedy albums were Seinfeld and Robin Williams. And Seinfeld had a chunk about, I mean, every comedian did in the eighties or whatever, but he had a chunk about air travel mm-hmm. and I would pop that on as the plane was taking off into my CD player because it just made it seem less frightening mm-hmm. that there was a guy who was picking apart little pieces yeah. of the pilot and the stewardess yeah. and, the the bathrooms and everything like that it was just so calming to go it's you it's just a you know everybody's an idiot yeah yeah <laughs> you know or whatever <laughs> uh, like my one of my favorite things i used to love you know because the pilot would come on and he and, you know and he has that little speech or whatever but seinfeld's bit i think was and i'm gonna butcher it I, it's paraphrasing but he would come on and like, we're gonna take it up to ten thousand feet mm-hmm. then we're gonna drop it down to five and he'd be like and we're all back there going yeah whatever <laughs> Yeah. Fly the plane. <laughs> Just <laughs> land where it says to land on the t- yeah. Like that was so cathartic to me because it's scary when the pilot comes on. You don't know what the fuck right. you're gonna say when you're a kid. Yeah. You know, or, or even, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's... And yeah, I had a 
I like to know how things work and I like when other people break everything down mm-hmm. in front of me if I'm if I'm whatever. And I, and a, being able to do that yourself is I think key and very important to surviving. Mm-hmm. That's that's funny as an aside do you have you listened to the Seinfeld interview on Marin's podcast on WTF? Yeah, I did. I didn't I didn't get to finish all of it. But I did listen to like I did I listened to it to, to the end and I think I missed me of some stuff in the beginning for whatever cuz you know when you like you're kind yeah. of distracted when you listen to a podcast. Yeah. But I did listen to it. So you yeah. whatever you're saying I might remember it. I it's funny. I I've always liked Marin because, you know, I'm a I'm a depressed guy too. And we, we had similar mm-hmm. growing up situations and, and stuff like that where the, the, the parents were kind of in their own world and I was just existing on, on my own. So I, I understand where he comes from in that, but he missed so many opportunities in, in that Seinfeld interview. I mean, Seinfeld was not going to talk about how broken he is because he, he's not broken. So no, and, and that's an anomaly as far as comics are concerned. Most of us have something wrong with us and some, something mm-hmm. happened to us. We've got depression. We got some sort of mental illness, whatever. And, but he wasn't going to go there, and Marin did that for two-thirds of the interview, trying to get him to do that, And when he could have been talking about his writing process and how, how he does new material and stuff like that, and it just didn't go there. It was, it was such a missed opportunity. I just wanted to grab Marin and just shake him. I think he, I think he tried though. Like I, I could feel the, like the visceral frustration that he had when oh, yeah. him, and he kind of did address it a couple of times, yep. but you know, I liked that interview a lot, but it did give me somewhat of like, I'm like, is it my fucking heartbeat? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I was just like, you could tell it was tense, but I could also tell that they both enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Seinfeld's unflappable. He's unmovable about yeah. a certain thing. Here's the thing though. I think like what he, what Jerry said at the end too, is like, he is when he gets, when he, when he has a point that he's making or somebody asks him a question and he's not, he's immovable there, but it depends on whether or not like, it, cause he, at the end of it, he was like, cause Marin was like, yeah, when you, when you have an opinion about something or when it's not, you're, you're done, you kind of cut it off. And then Jerry was like, well, ask me something else about like, cause <laughs> yeah. it seems like Jerry's willing to, but he was like, well, yeah, but that's my, but if you still want to go, then fucking yeah. then ask me. Yeah. And so it's, I respect them so much for both of those things. Cause here's another thing too. I don't think I don't pres- or, or like prescribe to the philosophy that you have to be broken to be a comedian. And I kind of hate that that's what people lean into mm-hmm. because I think people who think they're fucked up and don't deal with whatever they're going through, then, then think that they're going to do, then this is, this stuff's funny and it's going to take it out on stage and do whatever with it. The only problem with that is, is that it doesn't solve or fix you or help you grow as a person. Right. You just have a, you just have latched onto an identity that doesn't even really exist for you yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're only doing open mics. Mm. So you're not only you're not working on yourself, but you're not working on you're not getting any better as a comic because you're literally opening up your fucking diary and you think that this is going to heal you somehow. Yeah. Because you're just exp- and it, you know. I don't think it does. I don't think it does at all. And I actually don't even consider myself to be like, I know I'm, I have, I can, I can fall into depression pretty easily. You know, if I don't pay attention or watch or take care of my, like if I don't, you know, if I'm not aware of it Mm -hmm. and I try to be aware of it as much as possible. Like I think you said before, do you get better? I don't think when you're dealing with depression, you ever get better. I think it's always there. Mm -hmm. And I think it always winds up coming back a little stronger each time. If you let it, 
Mm. I'm not an expert in it as you, and I, and I don't do the, you know, whatever, but I don't consider myself to be like this broken person that does things because A, B, C, and D. I think I have that problem. I think it's, I think it can fuck people up. And, and I think you do kind of, you know, there's a risk of making poor decisions or doing that kind of stuff because your mental state isn't there. But I think I am more the other person. And that's a struggle too, is, is I think in the very beginning, and especially when you're young too, you're, you think you have to choose between who you are when you're depressed or who you are when you're better. And that there's one of you is fake. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think you, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think you're more of whoever you're trying to be and not who you are at your worst. Right. And I, and, and so I think when people kind of learn to deal with that a little bit better or kind of acknowledge it instead of leaning in towards it, I think that, I think they tend to go, this is who I am, except who I like people who uh, fall into that category or, or are depressed or anxiety ridden don't tend to want to they think acceptance of those things is the best way to go instead of going i don't want to be this way how do i fix it because that's been most of my life is how do i fix this thing and how do i get to be who i want to be right and i I don't like and I, i i feel like it's not only an acceptance with some comics that that i know and some that i've i've seen it's almost an embracing and Mm -hmm. you like you said you're leaning into it and you need to be depressed in order to get more material so Mm -hmm. you you just start this awful cycle that you end up you end up at the end of it being much worse off than when you started totally and that's a myth too though i don't i i have never been i've never been like i've always been funny and i've always been able to do my act or whatever it is in spite of being whatever the mood is that's just what the job requires anyway that's any job though you go yeah. into any fucking job no matter what you're feeling like and you do yeah. that fucking yeah. job yeah maybe maybe more or less to the you know to the, to the effectively or whatever it mm. is right but I don't think I've ever been, I don't think I've been more funny when I was suicidal. I think I've been more funny when I'm in a better mood and I'm willing to let people in and I'm willing to experience stuff and find joy in it and everything. I, I think that's a, I think that's a weird fucking myth that people latch onto. And mostly I think comedians know that I think people just starting or don't know it Mm. because they're still looking to be like, to have a reason for the way they are instead of just going like, look, we're all fucking human. And for some reason, my brain doesn't work the way yeah. it should. Who's does at a certain point, you know, or whatever, but mm. there's, there's not a good, there's no, it's hard to admit that kind of stuff. And, and it's a, and it's a fucking process. I right. think. There's a couple things about Duppet that just really struck me. The one, the, the one thing you said when you're talking to the therapist, you said, I don't want to kill myself. I just don't have any connection to staying alive. And mm. that was, I, I've heard different ways of saying, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to die. I just don't like, but, but the way you said have having a connection to staying alive, I thought that was, that was like poetic for me. I, I, I thought the way that was written was just a perfect way to say what depression is. And I, I just wanted to, you know, tell you good job for that because I, I've never heard Thank it you. exactly like that. And for some reason that really struck me. So uh, thanks. And, and a lot of those conversations, like when we had, 
when we had the that part of the dialogue or whatever. So when I was, you know, severely depressed or whatever like that, I did keep. I wrote down some stuff because it, it, you know, they always tell you like to write down your thoughts, mm-hmm. which is, you know, there were sometimes too because you find that shit later and you're like, holy fuck, <laughs> you know. And it, but it, but it does. I don't know exactly what the purpose of it. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it helps because it gets it down on paper and it's not in your head. I think that's the most idea. So I'm putting this over for here and mm-hmm. it doesn't get to live with me for the rest of the day. But that line and everything else came from I had written it when I was I had written that out when I was. um not doing that great. And there's a lot of dialogue and stuff that came from pieces of my own thoughts and my own brain when I was going through it. And that's what it, that's what it kind of felt like, because I think at some point when I got past a certain point, I was like, I actually don't want to do this because I know it's going to affect everybody else. Like, I understand why people do it. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not even trying to remotely, I don't even like, I get it 100%. But I think for me, it was always like, I don't, I don't actually want to do this thing, but I, I actually don't want to be here. Right. So it was a really straight, it was a real big struggle to, to come to terms with that too. And then I, but it also, it's part of the, part of my process anyway, it was going or just kind of coming to terms with like, look, yeah, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to live this way, knowing that and feeling this way? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's, it's good. Like I've still been trying to work on, that thought process and what that means. And if it's, you know, something I can live with or, um, over, or if something I have to get past or whatever it is, I don't, I'm not necessarily there yet, but there's, I think there's another part in that too, where I was saying like, you know, when you're kind of floating in the, it feels like you're floating in an ocean and you've got these little, when you're depressed, you got life, you're always a second away from drowning and you've yeah. got life preservers and, you're bouncing from one thing to the other. Mm. And I think for me, that's what it felt like when everything else, when everything else slowly got stripped away, mm. I felt like I had no window to climb out of or nowhere to go. Right. So it gets, yeah, it's, it gets really like kind of difficult. Yeah. And you, the, the, like I said, the way you expressed it was just fantastic. The other thing that really got me is when you're, it's, it's towards the end when you're having dinner with your friends and after, after the show and they end up having their own duppets. And that is one thing for people who are struggling with depression is we get very insular. We get very inward thinking and we don't notice what's going on with the people who are closest to us. And I thought, I thought that that really nailed it. And, and sometimes when you do notice what's going on with the people that's close, closest, closest to you, you actually can put your own bad thoughts aside and be, be a helper. Yeah, exactly. And there's not, and, and, and that's a great feeling to have too. It's so weird because it's literally the expression misery loves company. Yeah. But it is kind of bizarre because it's, <clears throat> it's not in a malicious way, but as soon as you find out that somebody else is also, it's just about not being alone. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing we tried to really emphasize hard and dump it is that communication and the acknowledgement that you are not going through these things by yourself is a huge fucking relief Mm -hmm. because depression is designed to break you down, to make you feel like there is no one else in the world who's going to understand what's going on, or there's anybody else that cares. And it's, it's in spite of that's, that's the thing when like, whenever there's a depression awareness thing going on or people will, you know, tweet out some stuff where they're like, Hey, you know, if you're depressed, give us a call 
or whatever the hell it is. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> there is no one that you're thinking you can call at yeah. that point. Like, like I always try to emphasize the other end of that is just reach out to your, just fucking call your friends mm. or your family or whatever it is. You don't even have to necessarily ask them, are you sad? You know what I mean? But just to, just to reach out because mm. whether people knew it at the time or not, when people called me when I was out in, you know, LA or whatever, and I was by myself, that helped incredibly. Yeah. What, and they do, and they don't know it because I didn't actually say, right. <laughs> you know, thank you or, or whatever it is. And like, you know, but, but yeah, it's, it's about breaking that kind of stuff down. We wanted to have that scene. That was one of the scenes we couldn't actually do what we wanted to do because of, but in the, in the script, it's written where the camera's supposed to actually pan out. Like his, he realized his friends have it. And then everybody else in the restaurant is, is sitting next to their own. Puppet. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's supposed to be a full scene. And we might actually do that if we, if this ever gets picked up as a series, but we wanted to actually have it pan out. And, and he kind of just looks around and sees like, the waitress has got one, you know, the guy at the table, everybody kind of has one. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody, whether it's in whatever form it's in, everybody's got fucking something. Mm, yeah. And it, you know, and we're all, tr- we're all just kind of struggling to deal with it. Right. That, I, I, you, you, you just did it very well. I, I was, Thank you. I was very impressed with it. Uh, so this has been heavy. Yes. You know, <laughs> but luckily it's almost dinner. So we'll be having food. And- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Not it's, you and I. That's yeah, going to be unfortunate, but right, you know, I'll, right. I'll, I'll probably go get a sandwich. <laughs> I, I think I'm doing leftovers tonight. But yeah, but one thing I like to ask all the comics that, that I have on is there three things that you know now about being a stand-up comic that you wish you would have known when you started? Three things. Hmm. I wish, let's see. I think one thing I wish I knew then uh, that I know now is that it's not as important where you perform just as much, just as long as you get up to do it. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of emphasis I think on like the Holy ground, like the stature of clubs. And there's really only like four or five top comedy. Yeah. I mean, in like the fucking country that right. are like, you know, mm-hmm. happy, like they're, they're really perceived and the rest you know, like any other business tries to make themselves out to be whatever, but I think it can be intimidating. And I think it was in the beginning and stuff mm-hmm. like that and, and, and whatever, but I think I would have told myself to relax about where I was and just work on me and the act. And cause no, no one particular set is going to make you huge or break you. Right. Yeah. Because there's <laughs> club owners to this day that don't remember I performed in their club and there's audience like, you know, yeah. and that's, I think it may be a second thing too, is maybe not to carry the weight of a bad set with you as long as it is because yeah there's 200 people in that room who fucking hated you that night but they have no clue who you are yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think the the, i think relishing the anonymity you have yeah which will flow into the third thing too is don't fucking post everything yeah uh on the internet yeah (laughs) videos clips stand up there are so many comics i see now who will post so eager to post their first set and their first set has no laughs yeah. and destructured bad jokes and i'm like why the fuck would you want yeah. that out there i never <laughs> did that when i was I, I always made sure whatever the set was was you know had a, a or something in the background but i i see a lot of that and i but i also like i i would rather not have posted you know like i try to post every video every fucking thing you have on there right and just relish the anonymity a little bit give yourself five fucking years where you are not on the internet and just working out shit in the club yeah 
It's yeah. hard though because now it's even he- more heavily ingrained than it was back then. Oh yeah, yeah. So now it's like your Instagram story's got a feature you doing a fucking five minute set. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or yeah. you didn't do, or you didn't do comedy that night. Yeah. Yep. No but, doubt. Uh, but seriously, I think people should relish, you know, not having nobody know who the fuck you are because it mm. doesn't matter. Right. Those are good. Oh, um, you get so many. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you are so. We've got Dupa, that's on YouTube and Amazon. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? I have no shows coming up, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Normally, I would plug a a date. uh, Drawings from a Nobody. Is that on Amazon? Can can you order that on Amazon? Yeah, you can order that on Amazon. Yeah, and I think through my website, too. I'm not sure if it's still available on there, but on Amazon, you can. And uh, yeah, I guess just follow me. I, I like Instagram more than anything else. So if you want to follow me, follow me on Instagram. Okay. And I mean, I'm, I'm working on something. I don't know when it's going to be out, but it's uh, kind of like a bizarre take on a talk show called Dystopia Tonight. Okay. And it's set post-apocalyptic. <laughs> so this, 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 it's just about a dude who's trying to do a show while the world burns. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. It's going to be fun when it, when it's actually finished. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something I would get into. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for being on John. I know we got really deep, but the, that's com- me. Com- comics like to get deep. So uh, yeah. I, much, much deeper than Jerry and Mark got. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we're also making much less money. So yeah. Honestly, yeah. No doubt. <laughs> who's the winner here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're both doing all right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on. Thank you.